You all happy tonight? What you want to do? <laughs> I was at a place a while back, and the pastor said, well, service tonight at 7 o'clock. I said, great. I said, who's speaking? He said, you are, aren't you? Well, we want to be open, don't we? Always open. That's one of the keys to being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You've got to be very, very open. If you want to hear from Him, you have to be willing for Him to tell you something differently than what you thought. You've got to be open. Amen? And uh, you know a lot of people, bless their hearts, they just they make their plans and they do what they want to do. And uh, they, they pray token prayers about direction. Do you know what I mean by that? People say, well, you know... Uh, this is what I believe we need to do, and well, let's pray about it first. So they go and they pace back and forth and go, run, die, shun, die, untie my bow tie. Yeah, the Lord said, be okay. And, uh, and just go do what they were going to do. They, they never heard from the Lord. Did you hear me? No, you, you got to get in the floor and be willing for him to tell you no to something you want to do. Or yeah, to something you don't want to do. You got to be willing to hear something differently and to do something differently. And if you don't have that openness, then you'll not be uh, led by the spirit like you should because you're just not not paying attention. You know, you have to look to him. You have to ask, seek and you'll find. Amen. Well, why don't you turn with me this evening the scripture we looked at last night, Proverbs chapter four. And let's talk some more about staying on the path. Staying on the path. Thank you, Lord. Proverbs chapter 4. Staying on the path. The Lord, well, let me stop and ask this. Why would the Lord lead me to teach on this and give me utterance? talk through us. Well, there are folk that have been off the track, off the path, and he wants them to get back on. But also, this has to do with the future. There are a number of people here tonight, and you're you're pretty much on the path. A few little deviations here and there, but got back on. But the enemy has got all kind of exits he wants you to take. And he's been planning, and he's got some things planned for this year, and he's got some things planned for five years from now, and he's got some things planned for ten years from now. And the Lord is never behind the enemy's plans. He's always ahead, and those of us that are staying tuned, we are not ignorant. Of the enemy's devices. He'll have us alert and aware. And so I think a large part of this. You know why would the Lord deal with your your pastors to have us in? Why would he deal with me to come? Why would he deal with you to be here these times? These things are not by accident. Right? Well, the Lord wants to get some folk that are off back on. And... He wants you to be forearmed 
and ready. And so when the enemy pulls his big thing, you'll just won't even turn off. You won't even turn your signal light on. <laughs> what do I mean by you're going to stay on the path of the righteous? Amen. I want to say that again real slow so you can say amen a little stronger. <laughs> when the enemy pulls his deal, you won't even turn your signal light on. You won't even look that way. Amen. You will stay amen. on the path. Yes, stay right in the middle of the perfect will of God for your life. Amen. And you know where you will go through? You'll go through Healingville. You'll go through prosperity time. You'll go through promotion city. Amen. He will take you. How many of you, you stay with him. He will take you to some good places. Thank you, Lord. Because he has. What was the scripture talk about? I know the thoughts I think towards you. Good thoughts. Give you an expected end. God's, oh, God's got a plan for us. He can just keep us on track. Keep us on path. Proverbs 4. Proverbs 4. And verse 11. Proverbs 4.11. I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in right paths. When you go, your steps will not be straightened. And when you run... You shall not stumble. Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her for she is thy life. I want to read that again. I want you to listen to it extra extra carefully. Take fast hold of what? Instruction. Don't let it go. Keep her for she is what? Now the, the path is a path of light. A path of life. And what's a big key to stand on the path? Instruction. Enter not into the path of the wicked. Go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it and pass away. Verse 18. The path of the just is as the shining light that shines more and more unto the perfect day. Read that out loud with me, please. We'll read it at least twice. Verse 18 together. But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. Say it one more time. But the path of the just is as the shining light that shines more and more unto the perfect day day. How many believe that? When you're walking with God, you're on the path he's chosen for you, the path of the just, the path of the righteous, the path of of Christianity, which is being like the anointed one, following him. What happens? It gets brighter. It gets better. Oh, there's challenges and there are tests and there are temptations. But if you'll just stay on track, you'll overcome and it'll get better. Amen. Better. Everybody say better. We talked about that at length last night, that people have terrible problems and and five years later are worse shaped than they were before and, you know, try to act like, well, I'm on the path, though. I'm on the path. No, can't be. I said, can't be. Listen to these scriptures. 
Listen. Proverbs 12.28. You don't have to turn there. But 12.28 says. In the way of righteousness is life. And in the pathway thereof is no death. How much? No death. In the path. Amen. Amen. The path of life. The path of righteousness. There's life. And how much death? None. 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 So to get a bunch of death. And when we say death. We're talking about spiritual death. Uh, when you get a bunch of death in your life. How many understand? Sickness is, is a manifestation of spiritual death. Poverty is a manifestation of spiritual death. Mental oppression. And, and confusion. And all these things. You have to get off the path. To get in in increasing degrees of of these things. Listen to another verse. Uh, Psalm 65.11. You don't have to turn there. But 65.11. It says. Your paths drop fatness. (laughs) That means. They drop with prosperity. Because if the fatness he's talking about is the increase. The excess. Amen. Amen. Y'all not excited enough about that. (laughs) You're still wrestling with the language. God's paths literally drop with excess. That's better. You like that better. They drip. Hallelujah. Now, does that sound like the Almighty? Does that sound like El Shaddai? His paths drip with excess. So when it just gets worse and worse year after year and less and less and tighter and tighter and further and further behind, you're not on the path. Can't be. Because his paths drip with excess. Hallelujah. Well, we could talk more about the path, and it's it's fun, it's exciting, we ought to. We spent, uh, I didn't intend to, but we spent the whole evening, last evening, talking about it. But we need to get on tonight to this area. If the path is so wonderful, dripping with excess, ever-increasing light and life and strength and revelation and understanding and blessing, why would anybody get off? Hmm? And yet, millions get off. Get off. And some get off and never get back on. Some take 40-year detours and go through all kind of stuff and all kind of places and situations and tragedies that God never intended that they go through, but they're off track. They're off the path. Why do people get off? Is that a legitimate question for us to ask? Do we need to know? How can we be safe from getting off? If we don't know how people get off. How do people get off the path God has chosen for? The Lord is not making it hard uh, for, for us to stay on the path. When we're born again, he, he virtually carries us through the first part of the path. Because we're babies and we don't know anything. And he virtually carries us through the first part of the path. 
But as you get older, you have more responsibility and you can make more of your own decisions. And so many times people make the wrong ones and they get off. People sometimes say, well, you know, the, the devil just got me off, man. He, I'm sorry, I got to get back on. But the devil, the devil cannot take you off the path. He cannot run you off the road. He cannot jump in and grab the steering wheel and take an exit you don't want to go down. And you're screaming on the other side, I don't want to go this way, I don't want to go this way. But he's driving. That's giving him far too much credit. Remember, he is the loser. He's the defeated one. He's the lesser one. The greater one is in you. He cannot force you off the path. He cannot take you by force off the path God has for you. All he can do is lure you off, tempt you off, deceive you off. So he's on the sideline at the exit signs with billboards and videos and sound bites going, hey, 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 you want to get off here? Because, man, there's some happening stuff off here. Here, come off here because this is what would make you happy. This would do this for you. You need to turn off. Up ahead. One mile. Here. Get off. And if you do, you turn away from light into darkness, out of blessing into cursing. Look with me in James, the first chapter. Let's talk about how people get off. Before we go any further, let's pray a prayer of agreement about utterance. We've already prayed and a lot of things have already happened, but let's pray another prayer of agreement. Father God, we thank you so much. And I ask you for utterance, precise, complete, exactly uh, what suits you and I ask for everybody for eyes that see and ears that hear and a heart that's open and receptive and Lord we don't want to hear a man we want to hear you and we ask you for it and our eyes are on you and we thank you for this in Jesus name and we purpose not to be hearers only but by your grace we are and shall be doers doers of the word thank you for showing us thank you for warning us thank you for protecting us And we'll not be hearers only, but doers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. James 1 and verse 12. James 1, 12 says, Blessed is the man that endures temptation. What do you have to do with temptation? That's different from giving in. Right? You're resisting. And it takes some endurance. The devil is a persistent cuss. Have you felt? Y'all understand that in Texas, don't you? Isn't he? Have you felt? You know, I didn't realize he was as persistent as he is. He'll stay with something for decades. Trying to get you to give in. And you might say, you know, there's Christians that have said no and said no and didn't yield for five years. But then they yielded later. Gave in. 
But Jesus is our example. He never gave in. Never. He's my hero. Isn't he yours? Never, never yielded to temptation. I mean, in the wilderness, the enemy pulled out all the stops. Everything that had worked on every human before, he tried on Jesus. He got to the place where he didn't know anything else to do. Remember the scripture said he left him for a season. Now, have you ever heard of that? Why? Because he was dumbfounded. People had all, every time for generations, had given in by that time. Jesus didn't give in, didn't give in, didn't give in, didn't give in, didn't give in. And finally the enemy thought, what do I do now? Because he wasn't even close to getting him to give in. And finally had to go regroup and think about it. Keep the devil waiting. Keep him waiting. Just say no. And after you've said no a thousand times, you say no again. If no was the right answer five years ago, it's the right answer now. Right? Don't stand and be strong for year after year after year and then blow it by giving in now. Resist. Amen. Blessed is the man that endures the temptation, keeps passing the exits. And when he's tried, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. So it's not God trying to wave us off the exits. But every man, how many is this true with? Every person is tempted. How does it work? When he's drawn away of his own, that's not the devil, his own lust or his own desire and enticed. That's the devil in the enticing part. All he can do is dangle the carrot. But if you didn't want to carry it, it'd do no good for him to dangle it. If you didn't like carrots, right? He can't make you want a carrot. But if you want one, he can pull it under your nose. And he can draw you pictures of carrots. And he can tell you about carrots. Give you dreams about carrots. Amen. In the hopes that what? Every man is tempted when what? He's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And how does it work then? The next verse. And lust. When the desire. How many know you have to control your desires? When desire has conceived, it brings forth sin. The act. You, you feed that desire, it's going to get stronger. You keep feeding it. It keeps getting stronger. What's going to happen? You're going to act on that desire. You're going to commit it. It's going to be sin. And then when you get into sin, what happens? When it's finished, it brings death. The Lord didn't tell us don't sin because he wants to spoil our fun. The wages of sin is death. It works death in you. Spirit, soul, and body in every part of your life. Oh, you might not just fall out dead the moment you do it, but death is working. And it's going to kill something in your life. Hmm? 
Kill your joy. Kill your confidence. Kill your sense of righteousness. Kill your relationships. Hmm? It's going to kill something. So we must control our desires. What gets people off the path? They're drawn away of their own desires. Now we, we say, we say lust, we use the word lust, but I, I challenge it, don't use the word lust in talking about this for a while. Because people have a religious concept of lust. No. Desire. Wanting something. Hmm? And it covers a lot of ground. Hmm? People can want all kind of things. And when you want what God wants, you're secure in the path. Right? When you want what God wants, for the same reasons He wants it, you become unconquerable. You're one with Him. You want what He wants. You don't have to talk him into doing it. It was his idea. You don't try to plead with him to get him to support it. It was his plan. Right? Problem comes in when you want something different from what he wants. And those desires can pull you off the track and off the path and into a wrong way. And you have to be honest about it. Jesus said, I delight to do thy will, O God. He said, I do always those things that please him. Did Jesus ever want something different than what the Father wanted? Yeah. He became a man. Just like us. And he was tempted. What does that mean? How can you be tempted? Now stay with me. Stay hooked. How can you, we just got through reading it. How can you be tempted? By your own desires. The enemy was pulling on Jesus' desires, trying to get him off the path. He was on a path from the moment he was born. Right? It was a path to the cross. And can you see? The enemy at the wilderness temptation, at, the, at what we'd call the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, in a sense, the enemy tried so hard to get him off track. Tried so hard and was unsuccessful. But can you see again, at the end of his ministry, when, when some the biggest thing was about to be done, him offering himself and paying the price, you remember in the garden, Jesus... Sweat blood. Why? The Bible said resisting sin. Hmm? Go to Hebrews. Some of you act like you don't know what I'm talking about. Go to Hebrews 12 real quickly, please. Did Jesus stay on the path? Did he ever get off? Not even a little bit. Didn't even get off one time and had to get back on. Stayed on the path. Are you glad he stayed on the path? What if he hadn't stayed on the path? We'd be lost. Now, what if you don't stay on the path? Could it affect other people? Does your obedience affect other people's lives? What if your pastors hadn't stayed on the path so far? They wouldn't be here. 
What if they decide to go their separate ways? Messed up their marriage. Messed up their relationship. Messed up their ministry. They wouldn't be a church like this here. They wouldn't be here. Hmm? What if I hadn't stayed on the path? Well, we wouldn't be having this service. Is that what I'm saying? Your obedience affects other people's lives. Just like Jesus' obedience affected the whole world. If he hadn't stayed on the path and hadn't obeyed, it would have affected the whole world. Your sphere of influence might not be that big. It's not as big as that. It might not be as big as a whole planet. It's not. But it does affect people. People are watching you. You don't have to be a preacher. They're watching you. They're wanting to see if this is real or not. And the best thing you ever did for all your family and unsaved family and unsaved acquaintances and friends was to obey God and stay on the path and stay on the track. I've said people in my life, 10 years, they made fun of me and then they came to me and got saved. Made fun of me. Talk back. Well, sinners do stuff like that. Don't take it so personally. Sinners sin. They're messed up. But if you'll stay on the path. Everybody say stay on the path. If you stay on the path. It'll pull people. Other people's lives will be changed. Because you. Not, not me. Not your pastors. You. Because you stay on the path. Other people's lives will be better and changed. Could be many. It's important that you, not just us, that you stay on the path. Path of righteousness, path of obedience to God. Hebrews 12, are you there? How many believe the Lord's helping us tonight? Hebrews 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. There it is right there. What gets you off track? What messes with your race? What besets you? What trips you up? What gets you up? Sin. Everybody say sin. Sin. It's not a popular word nowadays, is it? Uh, most churches have completely done away with the word. That's right. That's right. Did you know it? Now people have problems. <laughs> that they're working on. <laughs> and that's not an acceptable substitute for the Bible concept and the language. Well, what's wrong with so-and-so? You know, well, he's on his third affair now. Well, he's got a problem. He has a problem with women. And you talk to him and say, well, I'm working on it. Working on what? What? What does that mean? I've got a problem and I'm working on it. It means you're in sin and you haven't repented. So-and-so, they're a good brother. they got a good heart. But they'll lie to you. You know? But they're working on it. What does that mean? We're down to five lies a week instead of three? I mean three instead of five? What does that mean? Well, we're making progress. 
You know, we only, only told 10 lies this month. It's 25 last month. What does that mean? It means you're in sin. And you haven't repented. What a, repentance doesn't mean going to the front and crying about what you did. Repentance means turning, changing. Amen. Until you have changed, you've not repented. And it just does holds no water to say, I can't. I tried, but I just can't quit. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. Hmm? I mean, you have guys that say they can't control their temper. Get mad, get upset, kick the dog, slap their kid, beat their wife up. And they got a problem. And they just, I don't know what happens to me. I just get mad and I just lose it. Well, it's amazing though. You take that same guy and just get him as mad as you want to. Put him beside a 300 pound linebacker. And some way or another, he manages to keep from slapping that guy. <laughs> can't, can't control himself with his 120 pound wife. No. People do what they can get away with. They yield to their flesh. Yield to things. You don't have to yield. I said you don't have to yield. There are groups of people that they teach, well, we're sinners. And we sin. We're saved by grace, but we're sinners. And they teach that there's no way you can go a day without sinning. That is a lie from the pit. That is making provision for the flesh. If you couldn't keep from sinning, you shouldn't have to repent. You understand? You shouldn't be required to repent because it's not your fault. You can't help it. You're just human. The fact you have to repent means you're responsible. You could have done differently. No, you can go for day after day and not sin. You can go for weeks and months. You can go for long periods of time and not sin. It is possible. Jesus went his whole life. Yeah, but he's the son of God. He did it as a man. He didn't do it as God. He did it as a man with no unfair advantage over you or I. Proven people can do it. A man, a woman can do it. He proved it. He did it. He showed us the way. Now all of us have already come short of that record. (laughs) Right? We have missed it. But you don't have to. And every time you missed it, you didn't have to. You could have done differently. Do you understand? And by the power of God, we can do differently today. We don't have to get, that's what sin means, to miss the mark, to err, to get off. We don't have to get off. We can stay on. We can stay in the middle of the perfect will of God, pleasing Him in the the middle of the path every day, every morning, every night. And the next day, we can just stay in the middle of His perfect will. Is it possible? Can you do Don't believe the devil's lies now. You can please God every day, all day. It's not impossible. You can do it. You can do it. He said, lay aside those things, that sin that besets you. Run with patience. The race that's set before us, looking what? Looking unto Jesus. Don't look at the exits. 
Keep your eyes straight ahead. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He stayed on the path. He ran the whole course. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him that endured what? Endure, we talk, we've just read about enduring. Such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. That's what happened in the garden. Jesus got to the place where blood was coming out of his pores. Why? Resisting temptation. What do you mean? He was tempted not to go to the cross. What does that mean? Well, why would he pray? Father, if there's any way. Hmm? If there is any way, let this cup pass from me. Oh, but thank God. He come back to say, nevertheless, not my will. Did he have desires that were pulling a different way? Not my will, but your will be done. And I mean, he was so pulled. He he knew what was coming up. Not just naturally, in the spirit, he knew what was going to happen to him. Nobody has ever endured what he went through. And he was looking that full in the face. And his desire was not to go through. And the enemy was working on him, man. The enemy was working on him. No, you don't have to do that. You can you can call on legions of angels. You can get off this cross. Do, don't you know he was tempted as he hung on the cross? He had settled it in his heart in the garden. And so I don't, I don't think the temptation pulled him that hard on the cross. Because he had settled it. In the garden. Once you've crucified your own flesh in the garden, you can go through the rest, the cross. He did it. So he didn't get off. Everybody say, thank God he didn't get off. He went all the way. That's what Paul said I've, at the end of his ministry. He said, I, I've kept the faith. And I finished my course. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He hit the ribbon at the end of the race. He hit it. And he knows the next thing I hear is, well done. Is that what you want to happen with you? You run your whole race. You stay on course. You hit the ribbon. You finish. And you hear, well done. Well done. Let's talk some more about the enemy's tactics, how he gets people off. You see, the, the basic principle is temptation. He tempts, he lures. And you have to endure the temptation and you have to keep saying no to what desires that you know are wrong. Now people try to act like, well, I've been sanctified, I'm holy, I don't even have any desires that's opposite the will of God. That is not reality. No. Even the most holy saint of God has found thoughts and feelings in their mind, in their bosom, that uh, were not good, not right. You have to recognize what's influencing them and where these thoughts come from and not feed the wrong desire. If you feed it, it gets stronger. If you starve it, it gets weaker. I want to say that again. If you feed it, it's like a stray cat. 
You got a stray cat comes to your back door and you say, now, kitty, you can't stay here. No, kitty, this is not, I don't have time for you. I can't take care of you. You need to find somewhere else. And all the time you're talking, you're opening a can of gourmet cat food. No, now, kitty, you have to leave. You have to go. He's going to be rubbing up against your leg and eating that cat food. And you do that another day or two. No, kitty, no, he's back tomorrow. No, kitty, you have to leave. You can't, no, get away, get away. But here, before you go, (laughs) here's another gourmet can of cat food. No, you got a new cat. Right? And then, you know, if you keep on doing that, six months from now, his cat weighs 20 pounds. And he's sitting on top of your chest, eating cat food off of your chest. And you're going, no, kitty, no, no. You got to go away. I don't want you, kitty. I don't want you. You're a big, fat kitty. And you slide another can of cat food. How many times that does not work? Now, I know that's humorous. I know that's graphic. But that's what's happening with people continuously. Brother Keith, I'm tormented with, with desires for the opposite sex. I'm tormented with desires for money. I'm tormented. And I just don't know what to do. Well, how did that desire get that strong? How did that desire get to the place where it is occupying, monopolizing your thought life? How did that desire get to the place where it's tormenting you? It's unfulfilled desire. It's torment. It's tormenting you because you fed it. And you didn't just feed it for one day. You've been watching stuff you shouldn't watch. You've been listening to stuff you shouldn't listen to. You've been reading stuff you shouldn't read. And you've been thinking about it, looking at it, feeding it, feeding it. And you go to church and go, no, kitty, you can't stay here. You have to leave. And you go home and feed him another can. You see what I'm talking about? Well, friend, this is not just about being a goody-goody Christian and not living in sin. This is designed to get you off of the predestined path for your life so that you never do what you were put on the earth to do. You never have the results. You never have the fruit. I mean, if the devil has, I mean, if he, if he can't have you with him lost and with him, then he wants you to go to heaven today. He wants you out of here. So you can't influence anybody. If he can't have you in his family, then he wants you absolutely to bear no fruit, nothing. He didn't want you influencing anybody's life. And so he wants, if he can destroy your life and get you out of here, out of there, the quicker, the better. But until that time, he wants to get you off the path you're supposed to be on. And he'll draw through your own desires and get you into things that discredit you, take away your faith, take away your witness. How many ministers and ministries do you know of and have heard? Churches that no longer exist. Maybe the people were good people in some ways, loved God, good work was going Next thing you know, somebody stole some money. 
whole thing went down the tubes. Somebody ran off with the secretary or whatever. Why? The enemy works on these things. He, he deals with them and if he can get you defeated, it'll get so strong until when, when lust has conceived, it brings forth. I mean, there's a conception and if you keep feeding that thing, at the end of the term, there's going to be a birth. What is it? Sin. What's the solution? Starve it. I said starve it. Starve it. You got a desire that's been bothering you. What, how, what can I do about it? Well, I'm going to get somebody to pray for me and cast it out of me. They can't cast that desire out of you. It's your desire. No, they can't. Now, if wrong spirits are harassing people, you can take authority over that. But if somebody wants to leave the place and yield to them again, they can. You will never experience real and complete and permanent freedom until you... Take control of your thoughts. You take control of your feelings. Nobody else can. God's not going to do it for you. Nobody else can. But you can. You can starve it. Sometimes it might feel like pulling out an eye or cutting off a hand. I mean, it's something you've gotten so used to and your body screams for or your eyes scream for or your feelings scream for. And it can be tough in the beginning, like like a drug addict getting off of a drug. But you can. You can starve it. And if you'll if you'll do without it for a day, and it'll get a little easier the next day. And if you can just go a week and not watch it or a month after a while, that thing that used to chew on you and torment you, it'll get to the place where you You'll go days, not even think about it. That's free. That's free. And let's say you were, you know, got into pornography and you got into a bunch of junk you shouldn't have got into. It is possible for you to get so free in the process of time that you could look at somebody, a woman, if you're a man, and have no thoughts except just a wonderful woman, you know, and not, none of that stuff. That's torment to live in this other stuff. Why do it to yourself? We're inundated with this in all forms of media. I mean, you know, they, they, they put naked women on to sell refrigerators. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, or, or whatever. It, it's an inundation, and there's a reason for that. The enemy has this world on a course towards Sodom and Gomorrah. It's already happened one time, and he's got it on it again. But you and I are the light of the earth. We're the salt of the earth. We're different. Amen. We're on the path. Path of life. Path of righteousness. I had a fellow try to tell me one time. He said, well, now, Brother Keith, now, come on. I mean, he said, you, you're a beautiful woman here and she's willing to be with you. Uh, don't you tell me. You know, you're going to say no. I mean, you're not even a man if you do. I said, no. I said, if you say yes and you give in, you got a wife at home, you got kids. It's because you're weak. See, it's all been distorted. I mean, there's there's been this mentality of, well, if you're a real man, uh, you have as many conquests as possible. You know, you uh, have as many lovers as early and it shows your level of testosterone and you're a man and... <laughs> I can win the ladies. Hey, buddy. Means you're weak. Have no control over your desires. You're weak. Strong man 
can be tempted to the nth and go, no. Yeah, I'm tempted. I'm pulled. But I'm in control. The man on the inside. I tell this body what and when and how. It doesn't tell me. This body's not running me. I'm running it. Amen. Amen. Be a strong man. Be a strong woman. Amen. Be to the place where you can want. It doesn't have to be a, a, a sex thing. I mean, you can want something. You can want a piece of jewelry. You can want a house. You can want a car. Want something so bad. So we have to watch this because people that preach prosperity, you know, we believe that God wants us to have the best stuff. That's true. But covetousness is idolatry. It'll get you off the path. We need to teach this side too. Go to 1 Timothy, please. Let's get into this while we're here. 1 Timothy, chapter 6. Oh, hallelujah. I can see in the Spirit what's going on right here tonight. Just what we described in the beginning. The Lord loves you. How many believe He loves you? He sent these pastors here because He loves you. Sent me here tonight because he loves you. Why? Because he knows the enemy. There's some, there's some beautiful things have begun to sprout here. Amen. Some wonderful things have begun to sprout and begun to grow and left unchecked. It will become a great tree. Wherein the fowl of the earth can take shelter. Many people can find a nest and a safe and a place to eat. And But the enemy, he doesn't want it. And so he is laying in wait and he's planning things, wanting to pull people off. People in leadership positions, people in help positions, people coming to the church, people associated. He's, he's wanting to trip you up and get you at the right a moment in time to veer off and follow a wrong desire, follow a wrong feeling, follow a wrong mentality and mess up some things. Has he been able to do it in some areas? I'm not, not talking about with you, but have you, do you know of things that started out so wonderfully and they got off? I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about your life. Your life. Say it again. I'm going to stay on track. I'm staying in the path God has for me. I'm not a weak person. My desires do not run me. My feelings do not rule me. I will stay in the middle of God's perfect path for my life in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. So be it. First Timothy, glory to God. First Timothy, the sixth chapter. He said in verse nine, first Timothy six, nine, they that will be rich. That phrase, if you look up the, the words here, it has the idea of craving. To be rich. It has the idea 
of, of setting your heart on being rich. You don't want to crave to be rich. You want to be a blessing. Right? It's God's will for you to be rich. And Jesus himself became poor. So that we, through his poverty, might be rich. He was, became, and we are. Amen? In fact, in redemption, we're just as rich as we are righteous. As we are healed. Now, we've learned that with healing. Even though you got symptoms in your body, how many know it's a fact? By his stripes. Ye were and are healed. Well, I don't care how broke and empty your pocketbook may be. By his poverty, you're rich. You are rich. But craving to have money and stuff because of the influence. Because in this world, money is influence. Craving that, keep reading, they that will be rich, they've set their hearts on it, they crave it, they fall into what? Temptation. And a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, desires, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Can you get drowned in craving money and stuff and things? Man, just in the few years I've been walking with the Lord, the Lord's been so good to us, blessed us with so much stuff, enabled us to give offerings larger than years ago we wouldn't even thought about giving. But the, the further I go with Him, the clearer I see, don't seek the stuff. Seek Him. I mean seek, Lord, what's your will for my life? What am I supposed to do? Don't seek the money. See, you don't have to clamor about trying to get the money. Seek first the kingdom of God and what? And all, and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. won't have to run after them. And when he adds them to you, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. None of this stuff we're reading about here. But when you get your eyes off of him and you want money, and you say, well, no, it's, I want that promotion. Well, why do you want it? You know, that's why a lot of people are not in church tonight. Why? Their job. Why? Well, their priorities are not right. Did you hear me? People that miss all kind of church. Why? Because, well, because of my career. And they act like, well, you're supposed to understand that. And even though your pastor might say, well, okay, that didn't mean the Lord said it was okay. You know how I learned that one time? Somebody that was supposed to be helping me in a certain area, they called me and they said, well, Brother Keith, I've had this come up. I had that come up with my business. And, you know, I'm sorry, but if it's okay, I'm not going to be there. I said, well, okay, all right. I mean, I'm not going to tell them. And I hung up the phone and the Lord said, I didn't say it was okay. I said, okay. Well, you tell them that then. (laughs) But see, people are, and see, the thing is, they think, well, you're just supposed to understand that. I mean, my career comes first. Does it now? Does it now? And why? Why are people 
bent? Why are they set on the fast track for that promotion? Why? Mammon? Money, influence, prestige, position, power. Well, then you're not serving the Lord. Right? Just as simple as that. Been on being rich. Wanting something. Have you ever got something in your eyes and you wanted it? You really, really wanted it bad? Come on, y'all are way too quiet on that. I'm a man. I, I've always liked cars. <laughs> always have. You ever got caritis? <laughs> you see that car, you think, I got to have that car. That car says, yeah, I got to come home with you. <laughs> There's a bond, you know. People try to fellowship with cars. You can't. They try. People have really tried. <laughs> you can get to wanting a house. Hmm? You can get to wanting something until it becomes too important to you. And your priorities are off. And you're making confessions night and day, but you're off. Thank you, Lord, for my house. Thank you, Lord, for my house. Well, I'm claiming my house. Thank you for my house. Thank you for my house. I'm believing for my house. House, house, got house on the brain. Hmm? Preoccupied, focus is wrong, emphasis is wrong. Yeah, it's fine to believe for a new house, but it can't be house in the morning, house at lunchtime, house when the sun goes down. It's got to be the Lord. The Lord. And house is way down here on the side somewhere. Yeah, claim it. Yeah, make a confession. But don't keep it on your mind all the time. That's covetousness. That's wanting something more than you want him. And anytime you want anything or anybody more than you want him, you're in danger of losing it. You're in a, a degree of idolatry. And I'm telling you, he is very serious about this. He, do you know in the scripture, he, one of his names is Jealous with a capital J. Capital J. Have you seen it? Jealous. Look it up if you don't, if you don't, not familiar with that. Oh, he is. I know one of the first, first nice cars I was able to get. I walked away from it when it came time for Bible school. I left my hot rod at home and just let it sit there and sold it for parts. I had to. It meant too much. That stuff meant too much to me. And years later, I was able to get a nice sports car. Well, and, and didn't even use one, uh, one offering. Didn't steal one offering to get it. <laughs> didn't use any widow woman's social security checks. Not one. You know, it's not what you have that's the deal. It's how you got it. That's the deal. And, well, I like to take care of my stuff. And so I'm out there washing this thing and waxing it for the 98th time. Well, it takes time. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, son, if you don't quit spending so much time with this, this machine, I'm going to regret I let you have it. I dropped the sponge. I said, Lord. He didn't care for me having that car. He didn't care if I had 12 of them. But what's the point? Spending too much time. Too much thought life. 
too much energy with stuff that's going to rust and rot and not make any difference a thousand years from now. I taught at Ramah for years and there were these two, two Ramah students one time talking. One of them was supposed to be testifying about how God is prospering him, but really he's just bragging. And, uh, and he was bragging about this stuff he had and he had all this stuff and he had all this other, and this other guy he's telling was just broke as could be. And he wasn't, he was just being intimidated. He wasn't being blessed. And finally he said, well, so what? Your pile of ashes will be bigger than mine. Because <laughs> it's all going to be burnt. Is that right? I mean, everything down here is going to be crisp fried. Melted. With fervent heat. <laughs> so let's don't get hung up on that. Keep reading, please. He said... Verse 10, for the love of money. Don't just pass over that phrase. Now, is this a deal today? The love of money. Is it a problem? In churches? With ministries? Oh, I know stuff I wish I didn't even know. I mean, and it's easy to say, well, uh, you know, we don't care about money. You know, we don't care about money. A lot of times, the more people say that, the less I believe them. <laughs> I had a fellow called the other day, and he must have said a dozen times in a conversation, no, I don't own anything. He said, no, I don't own anything. When he got through, I hung up, and I said, he wants something. <laughs> and you watch people start out like this, say, well, now I know how to submit, but, <laughs> right. <laughs> you watch the very thing they keep saying they're de- denying they keep trying to convince you now no I'm not doing this I'm not yeah right why does it keep coming up the love of money oh man what a deal it is it is the root of all evil one translation says all kinds of evil which now get this are you reading with me which while some have coveted after, they have what? Erred. They have what? Erred. Erred from the faith. Are we faith people? Yes. Are there people that have got off the faith track? Yes. Because of money? Yes. Love of money? Yes. Love of stuff? We're, we're supposed to have money and lots of it, but not love it. Can you have it and not love it? Yes. You can. In fact, you can get to the place where anything in your life, if you feel like this is hindering between me and the Lord, I detest it. I want it out. That's what, it, that's what Jesus was talking about. If you're going to be his disciple, you have to be willing to hate uh, close family members, even your own life. Now, what does that word mean? It means any, you, anything you see that comes between you and him and you doing his will for your life, you detest it. And you say, uh-uh, no, no. If I have to cut that off, if I have to separate from that, I'm staying with God. Amen. Nothing is getting me off. Amen. Nothing is getting me away. The enemy is trying to pull us away through our own desires. He's trying to get us off. A big one he uses. It's been the same thing ever since the garden. First John talks about it. The lust 
of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Did he get them off, Adam and Eve, in the beginning? Were they on the right path? Perfection. Didn't have a house. Didn't need one. Never got too cold. Never got too hot. Never too humid. Perfecto. Didn't have to have a refrigerator. Didn't have, didn't, didn't need any of this because everything was so perfect. Perfect. Didn't need a TV. Didn't turn the TV on at seven o'clock. You talked to God at seven o'clock. He came down and visited. Personally. Mm. Oh, they were on a perfect, perfect path. And lo and behold, one day, the enemy is hanging out a exit sign at the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Let's go back and read it real quick. See how he got them off because he works exactly the same way today. Hold your place in First Timothy if you hadn't lost it already. If you have, that's okay. Genesis. Third chapter. Genesis 3. Verse 1, the serpent was what? Subtle, he's slick, he's crafty, he's tricky. He's got a lot of ways getting you off the, off the path, if you'll listen. He said to the woman, now here's, here's how people get off, listening to the wrong voices. Should she have been listening to him? What if she had refused to listen to him? Couldn't have got any further than this. Has God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? She responded. Verse 4, the serpent said, you shall not surely die. Flat contradict God. She shouldn't have been listening to another voice that contradicted the Lord. You have to be strong in this area to cut it off. Because if it never gets started, you can't get to the place of getting off. When people say something contrary to the word, contrary to the written word, of course, but then what the Lord has told you in your own spirit, I'm trying to talk you out of it, talk you into another, don't, don't be polite and listen. Cut them off. You don't have to be super ugly about it, but you can just say, well, no, no, just, just stop. Mm-mm. I just didn't even want to talk about that. Because I, I got this scripture here. <laughs> and I've heard from the Lord about this. You understand what I'm talking about? And you don't, you don't even have to deal with things. If you didn't hear it, you don't have to deal with it later. Have you ever wished there were things that you saw that you hadn't seen? Because then you got to deal with it. Here it comes. Enemy brings it back to you. you got to cast it down. What if you'd never seen it? Hmm? But she kept listening. Kept listening. And verse 6, here's how it happened. The woman, what? Saw, lust of the eyes, that the tree was good. That's lust of the flesh, excuse me. Good for food. And then it was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes. And the tree to be desired to make one wise, pride of life. She took the fruit, ate it, gave to their husband, He ate, they got off. Right? Veered off the plan and the way God had for them. We've talked about 
lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh a little bit. Let's talk about this last one. Pride of life. She was tempted, and he was too then. Not She was deceived, he wasn't, but both tempted. About being wise. And the implication is that you'll be like God and you'll know what he does. And the implication is you won't need him. You won't be dependent on him. And see, that's where this whole evolution, godless evolution stuff comes from. All of it. Don't want to be dependent on God. Yeah, we got an urge in the ocean and we come up. (laughs) And from the goo to the zoo to you. We pulled ourselves up by our own bootstrap. You know, I'm a self-made man. Then you're not God's man. I'm my own woman. Then you're not God's woman. See, people, the, the pride of life is I don't need anybody. Can do it on my own, especially not admitting somebody gives you your next breath. You are dependent on a creator for your next heartbeat. But there's coming a day soon when every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess He is the Lord, He is the creator. No matter what they read or what they heard or what they marched and told and said. The smart ones bow now. (laughs) That's you and me. (laughs) Amen. They can call us weak. They can say we have to have the crutch of religion. They're the ignorant ones. We know that unless the Lord sustains. He didn't just create us. He sustains us every second, every millisecond. Why are the synapses popping in our brains so we can sit here and even know we're in a room? People say, well, we understand all that. We understand the nerve pathways. Okay, all right. Where does it come from to get to there? They're like... called life it's called spirit and the father of spirits created us and he sustains us yeah we're dependent on him completely dependent on him every moment of every day and they're not too proud to admit it pride deals with deception You show me a person full of pride, I'll show you a deceived individual. Obadiah 3 says, the pride of thine heart has deceived thee. You don't get into pride by believing true things about yourself. Somebody brags on you about something, you go, oh yeah, that was, that's true, you know, but I'm not going to accept that. I'm not going to, I'm going to be humble and different. Well, no, you're, you're, Already in pride. You're proud of how humble you are. (laughs) The truth is. You didn't do it on your own. Truth is you were sustained. Anything good. God did it for you. Did it through you. Did it in you. Amen. 
giving him the credit is not just trying to be humble, the nice religious thing to do. It's a fact. It's reality. Now go with me please to 1 Samuel and let's look at this because this is a major reason why people get off the path. They get off the path because of pride. Don't think that you don't have any to deal with. Pride and selfishness is the nature of the flesh. Your flesh hadn't been born again yet. So your flesh has the same nature of Joe Sinner down the street that ain't been born again yet. And if you yield to your flesh, you'll be selfish and you'll be prideful. You will. I will if we yield to the flesh. But we've got the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. And if we'll yield to that, we'll keep under our bodies. Bring it into subjection and not walk in selfishness and pride. In First Samuel, you see a classic example of somebody who got off because of pride. First Samuel and the 26th chapter. Are you all okay? Some things don't make you shout at the moment. But if you do them, you shout a lot later. Let me tell you something to shout about. Something that's, and we, I mean, we talk about miracles. We talk about amazing exploits of God's power. Let me tell you what's an amazing miracle for you from this night to the end of your life to not get off course. To stay every day doing the perfect will of God. Not even waste a day. Not waste a week or a month on a wrong road. That's a miracle. That's an amazing thing. And it's entirely within your reach. Amen. Amen. You finishing your course. If it's before the trumpet sounds, you slipping out of your body. Stepping back, looking at it, going, wow, that's done. <laughs> and your angel standing beside you saying, you ready to go? You go, yeah, yeah. He says, you want to go the scenic route? You want to go by the Milky Way and check some stuff out? Yeah, yeah. And seeing the master standing before the master with all of us there. And Abraham and Moses and all your family and our whole church that ever lived or will ever live standing there hearing the master look at you and say thank you. Call you by name and say thank you. You did good. Well done. You did everything I wanted you to do in the earth. Thank you. You've been faithful over some small things. Look at here. <laughs> Be ruler. Over much. That's something to shout about. That's something. That's what we're talking about here tonight. Hmm. Hitting the finish line at the end of your life. Thumbing your nose at the devil. Hmm. Loser. You tried, you tried, but you couldn't get me off. (laughs) 
That's something to shout about. Amen. That's what we're talking about. First Samuel 26. Are you there? You got a few more minutes or? First Samuel 26. Saul has realized the anointings on David. And he has decided to kill him and has pursued him and ran him like a criminal all over the country. And he's dodged, David's dodged him and his soldiers time after time after time. And on this particular occasion, David had the opportunity to kill him. He was right there within reach and he didn't. He said, I'm not going to touch God's anointed. He's talking about a demon possessed man. God's anointed. Why? Because God had chosen him and God had anointed him and used him. And friend, though we are not always able to respect everything a person in ministry or authority says or does, we must respect the place that they have in God. Or otherwise we disrespect the Lord himself. And when Saul realized how easily David could have killed him, and David standing off in the distance going, hey, why are you running after me? Why are you chasing me? Why did you believe somebody that I'm out to hurt you? In verse 21, 1 Samuel 26, Then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm, because my soul was precious in your eyes this day. 1 Samuel 26, 21, Behold, I have played the fool and have erred Exceedingly. Did Saul mess his life up? He messed his family's life up. God would have put one of his sons on the throne after him. And his son's son. And his son's son's son. For generations. If they would have obeyed him. He messed up his life. He messed up his rule. He messed up his family. Why? He was on a path. God chose him. Picked him, put him up, used him to overcome the enemy, anointed him. Why did he get off and have hatred in his heart and become a murderer and try to hurt and kill God's anointed? The answer is pride. You know, you remember the breaking point of this deal? When the Lord told him, gave him specific instructions through the prophet Samuel. Told him to go down and destroy, what was it, the Amalekites and Agag their king. Told him exactly, he said, he said, wipe out everything. And so Samuel came to meet him and they've saved all the best livestock and they've saved the king and they saved some of the people. Samuel comes in. You know, it's there in, in those days, it's interesting. Our covenant's different. But some things have changed too much. You read about some of the times when Samuel would come to town. The whole town would come out to meet him. And say, the, the, the elders, the leaders, the mayor and the police chief, everybody come to meet him and go, is everything okay? Is it peace? <laughs> Respect. My, how things have changed. And here Samuel comes and Saul bounces up and goes, Good to see you, Samuel. We've done what the Lord told us, you know. We've carried out his instructions. And Samuel says, uh, is that a cow I hear? Is that sheep? 
What's that? How many know what, what it's time for now? What is it time for? Repentance. Hmm? God sends a messenger to you and puts his finger on it and says, what is that in your life? What are you supposed to say? Oh, God. I'm sorry. Forgive me. What can I do? Is that what Saul did? He said, uh, yeah, we saved some stuff. Uh, the best of stuff. To give to the Lord. And you know, the people wanted to do it. And he said, uh, does the Lord have as much pleasure in the sacrifice as he does obeying the word of the Lord? He said, we, we, so, so we did what the Lord said. And he just kept rebelling and kept hardening. I hear these words? Hardening. Rebelling. Disobedience. Now, we're, we're reading here, and then later on, you know, he and Jonathan died. Jonathan died young. The kingdom was stripped away from them. Why? They got on the wrong road. Where, where did it happen? How did it happen? He stood up there and got in Samuel's face and said, I did what you told me. I did. He said, no, you didn't. Yes, I did. Now, here is where things are severed. When you get hard in your heart and you start rejecting instruction and rejecting counsel and reproof if you need it, that's when you take the steering wheel and take the exit off into out of the will of God and into destruction. I know in the early days of my ministry, I began to study about other people God had used. I read about a number of individuals that had been very prominent in their generation used of God. And some of them I was amazed at their apparent walk with God and some of the things they saw and knew. I read some of their writings, how much of the word they obviously knew. And the miracle some of these people had. Amazing. Signs and wonders. And yet, numerous ones of them got off. I mean, got off bad. Led many people astray. Wound up dying young. Wound up, wound up being cut off in the middle of their life and their ministry. And I kept seeing person after person that that had happened to. And it began to alarm me. Finally, one day, I'll I never forget it. I, I walked into a room by myself and I just fell on the floor. And I said, God. These people obviously know more word than I do. They've seen more miracles than I have. So I can't say, well, I know more. I'm smarter. I won't get off like they do. I said, what can I do? I can see I don't know what some of these guys knew. I haven't experienced some of you that some of these guys did. And yet they got off. How can I keep from getting off? What can I do? The Lord spoke to me. Something is etched in my heart I've never forgotten. He said, son, every one of those men that you're referring to, I love them. They're here with me now. I love them. He said, but every one of them, I warned them. I sent people to them. And they wouldn't listen. I sent numerous individuals to some of them. I moved supernaturally. 
and to talk to them. And they wouldn't listen. They turned a deaf ear. They wouldn't hear. He said, son, pride makes you susceptible to deception. And he said, your humility is your protection from deception. Your humility is your protection from deception. He said, son, if you begin to think wrong and you begin to look the wrong way and you're not seeing it on your own, he said, I'll give you help. I'll help you. But you must listen. You must take heed. Here the man of God's talking to Saul. What's that, what's that I hear? And he stiffens himself and go, well, it's a few sheep, it's a few goats and stuff, but we saved them for the Lord. Wrong answer. Are you with me? Amen. I'm talking about people getting off where they don't get back on. Getting off of the plan of God to the point where they don't get, get back on. I told you about two individuals just in recent years in my own life and ministry. The Lord sent me to them. I, and I don't take these things lightly. I, I believe all of us in this new covenant, we have the Holy Ghost. You don't have to go to a man to tell you what to do. Everybody needs to be hearing from God for themselves. I take this stuff very seriously. I, I very seldom do I say something to somebody about what they're supposed to do with their life. But when the Lord arrests you in the middle of the night and says, you go see so-and-so first thing in the morning and you tell them this and you tell them, I mean, I'm up writing stuff down. He said, tell them exactly this and exactly that. I thought, oh, God, and tell them this and tell them that. Well, I, I'm on a mission. I mean, I, if I don't do it, I'm disobedient. That's right. And I sat down and I looked them in the eye and I said, now, if you've ever listened to me, listen to me today. The Lord said, this is not the way. This is the way. And if you'll just wait, he's going to show you something else. And he's going to show you something better. And when somebody looks at you and goes, well, now that's what I'm going to do. What can you do? The Lord's dealt with people. He sends help. Why do people get off? Pride. Not wanting to listen to nobody else. I know. I've got the Holy Ghost too. Yeah, but you're not the only one who has the Holy Ghost. Right? I hear from God too. I got the Holy Ghost. I know. The Lord told me. I don't care what anybody said. Well, are you sure? This is how people get off and don't recover. Hardening their hearts. Stiffening their neck like Saul did. Samuel finally, he turned around and started walking off. And Saul grabbed his clothes and ripped them and said, now you come here and stay with me. And honor me before the people. Yeah, I guess I missed it. But you need to stay here with me and so the people can see we're, we're together. Is this heart problems or what? And when he did, Samuel turned around with his torn robe. He said, the Lord's torn the kingdom away from you. Now, friend, when we see that we've gotten off, I want, if, if I'm off, I want to know it. Do you? Amen. Oh, help me, Lord. Yes. Through anybody you can. Amen. Right? right? 
And if I am, help me, show me. And you got to be quick. If you did get off, admit it. Repent. I mean, get in the floor and say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't. You told me, but I didn't listen. But I'm getting it right now. That's that's humbling yourself before the Lord, isn't it? Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. What's going to happen next? Due time, season, he's going to exalt you. He's going to bring you up. There's a lot more that goes with this, but we can't do it all in one night. But I think the main thing is not that you get all the points, is that you get the spirit of a thing. Right? Do you have to get off? Can the devil make you get off? No, he can't. Then can you control your eyes? Can you control your feelings? Can you control your own desires? Yeah, you can. Everybody say it again. I'm not weak. I'm strong in my spirit. Amen. It's good to be strong. Amen. Sure, you're going to see some stuff. You're going to have some thoughts. You're going to have some feelings. Recognize their source and deal with them appropriately. I never forget years ago, I heard a man saying, he's a minister. He was way up on, I forget, what was it? 30 or 40 story building. And um, he was looking down and he's on this little balcony with this little bitty rail. And he's looking down and his thought came to him. Why don't you jump? He said, you jump. I'm not. I thought that's excellent. That's excellent. Why? He's recognizing the source of the thought. A lot, you know what a lot of people would have done? A lot of charismatics. They'd have gripped the rail and went, why am I thinking that? Why am I thinking about jumping off of here? And the devil would say, you got a spirit of suicide. <laughs> Do I? Oh God. Well, why are you thinking about jumping off? I don't know, because you got a spirit of suicide. Oh, God. You see what I'm talking about? People are so gullible with the enemy's tactics. Well, that's not the way to do it. Enemy brings thoughts to your mind. Won't you make a pass at her? You go, I'm not stupid. You make a pass. Won't you just slip that money in your pocket? Do I look dumb to you? I'm not ignorant. Besides that, I don't have to take that money. God's my source. He'll give me that and more. I don't have to steal it from somebody. Amen. You see what I'm talking about? And and you keep that kind of heart and you keep that kind of mind. You'll keep passing every detour. You'll keep passing every exit. You'll keep... Enduring temptation and never giving in and never giving in and never giving in and the years will pass and you'll do the will of God. Amen. Amen. And you'll hit that finish line. (laughs) Finishing your course with joy because you stayed right on. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.